Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Man, it's so wonderful to be with you. Uh, I just want to welcome, especially the visitors. I should probably do this more often than I do, but I just want to say uh, welcome uh, to the College and Young Adult Ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. Um, I'm Pastor Brandon Briscoe. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, so just right up front, I just want to make this really clear that we are a church that believes that the Word of God is divine. It was written uh, with a divine voice and um, through the superintendence of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit. And so uh, what that means is that when we approach the Word of God, when we open it up, and we look to it, uh, we believe that it has the answers for all of life, uh, for everything, uh, for every aspect of who we are. Whatever question that we bring to it, we believe that it provides us with, with the divine wisdom necessary for us to uh, change the way we think, change the way we behave, uh, see our world in a different way, which is why, which is why we're doing this series in Ephesians uh, Ephesians is uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus with the intention that they might better understand who God made them to be, which is why we've entitled this series, uh, Finding Our Identity. And we recognize that in 2024, uh, just the number of people that go to seek a therapist's help uh, is evidence, is all the evidence that we need that we have an identity crisis on our hands uh, in the world today. Uh, people, people don't know who they are, and they struggle to have answers for what their life should look like. And so um, that doesn't have to be hopeless. Uh, Jesus Christ has answers, and I believe that. Now, the last couple of weeks in Ephesians 3, we've been learning something very, very important, and that is that, that though we might be unqualified in the ministry and, then, and in the mission, uh, as Christians, God has made us able so what we spoke about at length last week is that, is that as Christians, we oftentimes uh, find ourselves just very doubtful, very doubtful of what God is doing, uh, very doubtful of who we are, what we're supposed to be doing. And so uh, we, we draw the conclusion that we're unqualified. We compare ourselves to other people and determine that other people are more equipped than we are. And so uh, we have a tendency to, to recede back and to remove ourselves from the mission that God has called us to engage in. And man, we can't have that. Um, God has made us able. He has, he has qualified us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now today, uh, we're going to remind ourselves that though you may be or we may be weak, no, we may be tired. Anybody tired? Man, I'm looking at y'all. I know you're tired. I can tell. You stayed up too late. It's obvious. We're tired. We're tired. We get tired in ministry. We get worn down. Some of us uh, are disappointed. Though we may be disappointed, disappointed in the way that the ministry has gone, the way that life has gone, the way that relationships have gone, despite all of those feelings and all the ways that, that, that we are, we have access to a God that's given us strength, he's given us energy, he's given us guidance, and he's given us joy. And we as church age believers can say something that no other saint prior to Christ could say. And that is that, that our identity truly is in Christ. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the architect of creation, came to earth, lived the perfect life, voluntarily laid his life down for the sins of all humanity, bore our sin, in fact. The sky turned dark. The Father had to turn away from his own Son. And he took upon him all of the pain and all of the suffering that we deserved. He took it. He bore it himself. He laid his life down willingly as a sacrifice for our sin. And then he rose again the third day to defeat sin, to defeat death, and to make us victorious. And as Christians, we can genuinely say that we are in him and he is in us. For the last 2,000 years, the saints have been able to say that. That's something that saints before could never say is that we are truly in Christ. We are in the Messiah, and he is in us. He dwells within us. What can't we do? (laughs) But we doubt. We doubt. So today we're going to address this. We're going to address this doubt. And we're going to turn to the Lord, and we're going to seek him, that he might be the power that we need to live and to do ministry. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this people. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us right now the energy we need to pay attention, that our our minds and our hearts would be awakened to the fact that your word is being opened and that you have something to say. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, attend on your word, to care for it, to take it seriously. And Lord, I pray that that because we've opened your word, not because I've stood up here or uh, because I've created an outline and I've got, you know, Uh, three points in a poem, um, but because your word was open, not because I stand up here in my flesh, that, Lord, lives would be changed and that you would impact us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Change us. Uh, We are lost without you. I sometimes, um, you you know, just allow myself to wander in my thoughts. and I try to imagine who I would be without you. And uh, my flesh sometimes would say that maybe there's, there's things out there that would be more exciting and more fun, things that I'm missing out on. Uh, but it doesn't take long for me to recognize, almost, I mean, really, almost immediately, that there is no greater adventure than the one that you set me on. And there's no greater purpose than the one that you've given me. And there's no greater joy than the joy that I find in the ministry And there's no greater friends that I could have than than those that are in this room today. And and there's no greater grace and forgiveness and peace outside of Jesus Christ and what you've done for me. And so, Lord, we turn to you and we ask for help today because you are the answer for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in verse 14, okay? Okay. Chapter 3, verse 14, this is where we'll be. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now unto him that is able to, uh, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. All right, so in verse 11, further back up in the chapter, we were told that we have direct access to God, the Father, and that we should, that we should secure that access by going to him boldly and with confidence, right? That's what we were told. You guys remember that? Verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, at my house, uh, we have a knock-before-entering policy, okay? This is wise, okay? This protects us. This protects us as a family. I, I can only imagine uh, the potential devastation that I would do to the psyche of my son if he was just allowed to just walk into my bedroom any time, right? It could be very damaging, all right, if he was allowed to do that. So he has, he has learned through lots of very clear instruction that you always knock before you enter, all right? Now, while that might be true within the, 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 the social uh, fabric of our world, you know, uh, when, when my door is shut, my office is shut, uh, I noticed that a lot of you um, will just come and you'll just push your face against the glass on the window to let me know that you're present, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, it's usually when the door of someone's office is shut, it's because they have work to do, but not in Kaya. <laughs> Y'all don't think that way, right? You just think that, you know... Oh, yeah, it's me. Dad's just going to let me in. I'm going to sit down. I can talk to him for an hour. No problem. Um, no, I got work to do. If the door's shut, just be aware that there's work to be done, right? Um, but, but this kind of, this kind of uh, uh, etiquette does not exist with our father. It does not exist. This is, this is not how he treats us. Um, God doesn't have that. The access that we have to God is immediate and it's seamless. In the Old Testament, there was a veil that, that separated man from God the Father. But the Christian, the Christian is unique in that he has the immediate audience of the Lord. All he has to do, all she has to do is turn your attention. All you have to do is turn your attention in the direction of the Lord and you have audience with him immediately. You have access to him in a way that no other saint before you could say that they did. Now here in verse 14, Paul builds upon that and he slightly tempers this idea of approaching God by stating the following, okay? Verse 14, for this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is calling us to consider that how we approach God, how we, how we frame our approach to God is important to our relationship with him, okay? So first of all, we have to recognize that our father is a king. He's a king. In the, uh, in the time of the Apostle Paul, when uh, the Apostle Paul was walking the earth, there were lots of kings, 
Okay, now anymore, there's, there's very few kings in the world. Uh, democracy, I wouldn't say that it rules, but there are, there's, you know, they've set up a lot of presidents, and there's a, things are different now. But by the time of the kings, when you entered the king's throne room, you would bow a knee. That was the right thing to do, right? To signify that they are of greater authority and power than you. There are observances that a king requires. And because of, because of what God the Father has done for us in sacrificing his son on the cross, there must be a sense of subjection in our approach to him. There must be. Psalm 132.7 says, We will go into his tabernacles, and we will worship at his footstool. We will put ourselves beneath his feet. And I think, I think the way that this is worded is really interesting. We will go into his tabernacles. Man, we are in his tabernacle. We are in his tabernacle. We are in his presence. He is our king, and he deserves for us to be at his footstool. Now, here's the, here's the dilemma, though. Some of us, we struggle with the idea of subjection. We struggle with it. We struggle with the need for submission. We struggle with our view of authority in day-to-day life. And so we struggle with our view of authority as it concerns God our Father. We struggle with it. And so maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's compounded by like our Americanness. I think uh, for, you know, for the internationals, they might be like, yep. Uh, right? But in America, you know, a lot of us have like, uh, we've still got a lot of Boston Tea Party in us. Right? Like, a, there's a little bit of that. And we, we love our independence. Um, we, love to, we love to rag on people in authority because we believe that we are smarter and better. And so we have this, this, this rugged independence in the way that we see the world. And it's caused us to, to be a little bit rebellious. Right? We, li- we like that. But I would say, I would say that in our world today, that, that it's probably true among all people. That people today just, in general, struggle with the idea of authority. I think that there's an ongoing, even just sentiment. You can feel it if you just watch the news. There's, a, there's an ongoing culture throughout our world of, subver- of subversion. Going against whatever is the tradition or the thing that stands. Going against it. As though, as though, really, the highest virtue is subverting things in authority. We love it. And so we just have this constant and ongoing sense of lifting ourselves up, this sense of pride, and it makes it very difficult uh, if we carry that into our relationship with the Lord. I believe that we, we struggle with entitlement in our relationship to authority. And so we struggle with entitlement in the way that we approach God. He is a king. <laughs> and he deserves for you to show him some degree of reverence. And yet we've, we've gotten so, we know that we have access to God, and so we've gotten very casual in our approach to him. You know, it's some of you, it's, it's funny, it's like, imagine for a moment, you're in your workplace and and you're doing your job. And you know it's always kind of good to just not be seen. You know, some of us take that approach at work. We just get our work done, hide away. We don't really want 
the boss even seeing us. Okay, and so we get to work and we're doing all of our work and doing all of our responsibilities. And, and, uh, but, but we go unseen for a really long time. And your boss is wondering, well, I, wonder, I wonder where so-and-so's at. I wonder what they're up to. I wonder if they're getting anything done. And it goes six months like this, seven months, eight months, you can imagine. And then suddenly, one day, you knock on the door and you ask for a raise. And they're like, you know, what's funny is I haven't even seen you the last eight months. I've, I, I, where have you been? This, like, that's absurd, right? That's an absurd thought. That's how we approach the Lord. We don't talk to him. We don't, we, don't, we don't take advantage of the access that we have to him. We aren't really even bothered with, with the Lord. But then one day we show up and we make our requests known. That's how we treat our king. Is that we have no need for him until we have a want. That's problematic. The other thing that we see here is not only that our father is a king, we see that our father is the father of all fathers. That's the flip side of this thing. That he is Abba. Verse 15 says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So I carry, I carry my father's name. I don't know how proud I am of that, but I do. I carry the name Briscoe. That was the name that was handed down to me by my father. But I also carry my father in heaven's name. And that father is the father of all fathers. He is the father above all fathers. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now this word, Abba, is an Aramaic derivative uh, of a word that, that essentially means daddy. It's a term of endearment for God. And daddy is a special term. And you know, I've, I've thought recently, so like my daughters are 10 and 6, they still call me daddy. Shepherd's 12 now, he calls me dad. But when I was young, when I was young, you know, Shepherd called me dada. He called me daddy. There's something very sweet about that. It means a lot. It means a lot to have that title. It's, it's a title of, 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 of endearment and care. Safety. It's a term of safety. And, it, and the truth is, it's what we've all wanted in, a, in an earthly father, is a daddy. You know, a lot of us, what we got was fathers, not daddies. A lot of us had absent fathers, so we have no idea. We have, we have no clue. Others of us had good fathers. You know, and... This concept, I, don't, I think this is a really important concept that's worth revisiting from time to time, and that is that a lot of us, we project our view or the concept of fatherhood onto God the Father. And so, so whatever your relationship with your dad was like, for good or for bad, you have a tendency to frame your relationship with God the Father in similar terms. 
Now, I really hate talking, I really hate talking about myself, okay? But let me, be, let me be open and a little bit vulnerable with you. My dad was an absent dad, okay? He disappeared completely from my life uh, by the age of six. I, I didn't see him again. I didn't see him again until I was 12, and then it was just very infrequent. Um, I have spent the majority of my life uh, seeking in a desire to be perceived as masculine and, and um, worthy of love, I have sought to get affirmation from, from the men in my life by working hard and showing that I deserve love. Now, this has been, a, this has been hard for me. This has been a struggle. This has actually gotten in the way of my relationship with God the Father. Because what I'm prone to do is to uh, work hard to get his attention. And then what happens is when I mess up, um, I project onto him the sense that he doesn't love me. Dang it. But that's the honest truth. Now you, you might have another problem, you know? Maybe you were spoiled by your dad. You know, maybe your dad loved you a lot and uh, he showed that love by buying you things. And uh, you, were, you, were a bit, uh, you were a bit of a brat or, or you were a bit spoiled growing up. And, and so now your, your perspective of God the Father is that he's like, his job is to just like hook you up. Or, or maybe your dad was present, but he was very passive in his relationship with you, right? So maybe he didn't show you a lot of affection. He was there and he provided for you, but he didn't show you a lot of affection and he was never daddy to you. And so that you're prone uh, to perceive God the Father uh, through that lens as though he's just some kind of distant force that has a, a, a lot of say in your life, um, but ultimately he's not the type of father that you can go and cry to, that you can be broken with or, or intimate with. And so we do this, like this is what we do. But here's the deal. Whatever you imagine a good father is, God the Father is so much more He, he is truly the father of, of all fathers. And rest assured, Jesus, he came to earth and he died so that you would have access to his daddy. I mean, I think it's a completely uh, doctrinally appropriate way of looking at Jesus Christ the God, God the Father sent him on this mission, right? But Jesus Christ did it willingly. Simply knowing that you would be able to have the relationship with his father that he had.
So here's the thing that we've got to work through, is that while God is our daddy, we often forget that he's also a king. And while God is our king, we often forget that he's also our father. And this is what we have to wrestle through. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we treat him with the affection and respect that a father deserves? Fathers deserve respect. They deserve, they deserve honor. But they also want affection and love and care. They want, a, they, want, they want there to be a casualness in the general dialogue that you have with them. Like sometimes I have very formal conversations with my son where I expect eye contact and I, and I expect honor. But then sometimes we sit on the couch and cuddle and just like last night, watch the new Chip and Dale movie, which I want to say is garbage. I don't want to derail anything, but I was a big fan of the Rescue Rangers growing up. And uh, this reboot was just, just not what it should have been, okay? Uh, but, but we just hung out, you know? He's at home. He's got bronchitis right now. And um, so he's just not feeling good. He's just tired. And we just all just took time on the couch last night to hang out and have, have daddy time. So listen... When you, think about, when you think about your father, is there both affection but also respect in your approach? But, but, but also, do we, treat, do we treat God with the reverence and honor of a king? When we go to him, you know, like it's a, this is why it's appropriate. This is why in scripture, the prescription for prayer is give thanks first. Like if you, when you approach the footstool of God, he deserves a little bit of thankfulness before you start throwing out your, requ- your requests, right? Before you start saying all the things that you think you need. Like take some time to set your mind straight by reminding, him, reminding you of all the things he's already done for you and then pouring out glory on him because he deserves it. We have to grapple with this. But here's the deal. This is the thing that we need to understand in terms of the identity conversation. What better confidence can, can a person have in their identity than to be secure in the identity of their father? Like, I, again, going back to my own relationship with my dad, I think a lot of the insecurity that I had in my life was related to the fact that my father wasn't present. Okay, so flip that on its head. We have a father in heaven who is present. Present to the point where I can just reach out and his grace is there for me. That's how present he is at all times. And so with that in mind, what greater confidence can we have as human beings than to know that our Father is there for us. There might not be any greater truth that should bolster our personal confidence than to know that that God the Father, the creator of the universe, the lover of our souls, is right there for us at all times. And that he loves us. And so here's, here's our first point that we need to make. We have access Per this chapter, 
what we're learning here. We have access to a loving father with unlimited resources. He's a loving father. He loves you. And he owns everything. Psalm, Psalm 50 verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. It's all his. His resource is unlimited. And he loves you. He's not withholding. Not of anything that's good. If he withholds anything, it's because you're asking for things amiss. You're asking for things that are not appropriate for you. And he protects you from those things. But his resource is unlimited and he's there for you and he's present. Now, the other thing that we learn is that he enables us. He enables us. And, and so now what we're going to look at uh, next must, must by necessity have an extreme effect on our self-perception, okay? By necessity, it, it just has to. Because it's right here that we learn that we have access to the Spirit of God in our inner man. Now, when we say the inner man, when, when Scripture says the inner man, the inner man is the truest form of us. The inner man is the soulish you, the spiritual you. It's the you that resides inside of the, the robotic form of your flesh. It's where the conscience resides. It's where reasoning resides. And it is the truest you. See, who we are on the inside, it matters. It matters to the outside of us. Who we are on the inside impacts the way that we act, the way that we feel, the way that we speak, the decisions that we make. Who we are on the inside matters. Now, for most of us, though, very naturally, we, we entrust our inner man to the oversight of the carnal man. We, we trust our inner man to the oversight of our best intentions. We trust our inner man, the spiritual us, the truest us. We turn the trust of the inner man over to our very best that we can come up with. Our passions, our desires. And we hope, we hope that it'll work out. Now let me, let me make it more plain. See, we, we rely on the strength and the guidance of our intellect to lead our inner man. In other words, we, we, we like to trust the facts. Trust the facts. We, we, we want to we trust our intellect. That, you know, listen to me. Your, your capacity to be a logician and to make decisions for your own life. We, we want to exercise decision-making that we believe will best cultivate the spiritual man inside of us. And so we trust the facts around us. We look at our circumstances and we make decisions, we make calculations, and then we move forward hoping that it's going to work out for the best version of the spiritual you. 
We, we trust in our emotions to do the same thing. We trust our gut. We like to say things like, trust your gut. We, we turn ourselves over to self-will. We trust discipline. We believe that if we enact certain habits and forms into our life, and we follow those things, we follow the procedure, that it's going to work out. Discipline, self-discipline. That that's going to be the best thing for our spiritual man. We, we, trust, we trust in the strength and the guidance of our own conscience. We let our moral compass guide us. We let our sense of morality lead us in the direction that we're supposed to, to go. What is right and what is wrong we determine those things, and then we go the way that we think is right. But here's the issue. Is that you are often the greatest deceiver that your inner man could know. See, the facts, the facts, they aren't always accurate, are they? You want to trust the facts, but the facts aren't always accurate facts. Your assessment isn't always accurate. The things that other people tell you aren't always accurate because people are liars and you're a liar. You are a liar. You're prone to that. So we skew the facts and your gut, your gut will often mislead you. What my gut, what my gut tells me is different from day to day. Your willpower, your willpower will eventually become a prison for you. And you will put all your trust in the process of the thing that you've disciplined yourself with, and it will put you in bondage. I mean, you guys see this, don't you? Like folks that are really about the gym. <laughs> right? And so, like, you know, a day comes, and, like, their schedule's really busy, and they can't go to the gym, and then all day they're talking about how they couldn't go to the gym today. Like, dude, right? People on diets, right? Like obsessing, like telling you constantly about how they're counting calories or whatever. It's like, that's all cool, but listen to me. Like, we, be we believe that we can, we can enact, like, this is, this is the whole thing about, like, a lot of these conservative pundits that are out there right now. These men have really good kind of traditional ideals of humanity, right? But the, the thing that, that so many of these men, like Jordan Peterson or whoever it is, that what they're missing is the Spirit of God. Because they want to teach you a discipline that will put you in the driver's seat and will incidentally leave your spiritual man behind. The, the funny thing is that they can even draw parallels from Scripture. They'll look to the Bible and they'll say, look at here, look at this principle about how you should, you know, be da-da-da-da-da. Now, in your flesh, this is what you need to do. Man. So, so we know that the willpower will eventually just imprison you. And your moral compass, it will potentially deceive you. Because while I believe that there's no morality without God... I also believe there are a lot of gods in this world. There are a lot of gods in this world who want to give you a false morality. See, we need more than, than just good intentions. We need more than that. 
We need the Spirit of God to strengthen our inner man. We need the Spirit of God. Listen to what the passage says, verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. When a believer receives Christ, he is immediately indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God made the spirit of man to be lit by the flame of the spirit of God, that he might be transformed. In other words, you, lowercase spirit, okay, you as a human being are indwelt with a spirit, lowercase, that until you met Christ was just a candle without a flame. But then when you met Jesus Christ and he set you free and he forgave you of sin, he imparted to you the Holy Spirit that lit the flame. Now, I'm not just saying that. That's what scripture teaches us in terms terms of the conscience of a man. We can understand that from Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, we know from scripture, it doesn't take much studying to know that the Holy Spirit is a flame. That's how he presented himself in Acts chapter 2. Our candle needs the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to rule over the body so that, that, that we might fulfill and fully express the character of Christ and so that we might be governed by his strength. So here's our point. We have access to a refining spirit with unequaled strength. Your emotions, your sense of morality, uh, your willpower, uh, all of the powers of your flesh, these things have nothing, nothing. They they provide you with nothing. They, they, They take you to a dead end. They leave you aimless. The Spirit of God is unequaled in its strength and ability to lead and guide your inner man and to take you where you need to go in life and to convict you of the things that you need to be convicted of. And to give you the faith and to, 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 to provoke in you a faith that's necessary to see God's power enacted in your life. So, so this, this is something that we struggle with. So in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul tells the church to quench not the spirit. Does that sound familiar to you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul tells the church. It's like one, just one simple verse, three words, quench not the spirit. It's like, hey, by the way, you know. In Ephesians 4, we're going to look at this in the next chapter. He asked the church to grieve not the Spirit of God. So what this tells us is that we can quench, we can quench the flame. We have the ability as Christians to quench the flame and to grieve through sin and, and neglect and distraction. We can, we can neglect the Spirit and grieve Him. We're capable of that. And when we do that, when you neglect the spirit, you deny the inner man's strength that has any substantive transformation power. So, so what, is, what does yielding to the spirit look like? What does the opposite of that look like? How, how, do we, how do we figure that out? What does it mean to embrace the spirit and let it, let it have its refining way in our life? Well, Galatians 5.25 tells us that we need to walk in the spirit. There's a command there. Walk in the spirit. And it tells us that like all of these wonderful things in terms of your character will come true if you would just simply walk in the Spirit. You need to walk in the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? 
I mean, a lot of us, we, we, we think about the Holy Spirit as some sort of kind of esoteric thing, right? And I think a lot of the charismatic teaching that we have in our world today does not help this. It just confuses the matter. We think of the Spirit as this thing that comes and goes and we can't know it. But the Spirit of God has a, has a personality, The, the, the Spirit of God has a way about Him. And we can know Him, and we can walk with Him. So listen, Scripture, scripture gives us a, a very simple, a simple understanding of this through uh, two intermutual passages, okay? So let's look at those real quick. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you aren't. So let's look at it. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Okay, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, what do we see here? We see that the word of God produces in us a tendency to sing and praise and worship God, to teach one another to teach and to preach and to invest in, and to have unity within the congregation of believers. That's what the word of God produces. It creates unity and a tendency towards worship. Now, Ephesians 5.18, a parallel, parallel passage, if you will, says this, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, Spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what, what we have and what we learn here is that these two corresponding passages tell us that the word of Christ, the word of God, and the work of the Holy Spirit are two very, very similar things. They produce the same thing. And so what we can know from the word of God is that to know to, to walk in the Spirit is to walk in the precepts of God. That if we want to walk in the Spirit, then we need to walk within the precepts of God. We want the Spirit to have control of our lives? Okay, then put your face in the book and know what the Spirit teaches. The Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Well, what does it teach? Well, it teaches this. Like, what else would it teach? What else would it teach? The Spirit isn't going to teach anything contradictory to that. See, the, the Spirit of the Lord's responsibility is to take these things and make them alive in you. And so we have to walk in God's Word. We have to have a relationship with God in His Word if we want the Holy Spirit to pour into us the strength necessary for right living. I hope this makes sense. This is critical. We have, we have to walk in God's word, and then we have, then we have uh, unfettered access to a power that goes well beyond us. The next thing that we see is, is that Christ, too, enables us for life and ministry. So the Spirit pours strength into us. It gives us strength, gives us strength in the inner man. But, but Christ also enables us for life and ministry. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The same Jesus that 
lived perfectly and died and rose again to new life, he's still alive today. He's still alive today. I think what Sam was saying, singing the old song today in service, he walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way, right? And so we know that our Christ is alive. No, no other religion with any other God figure can tout that. There is, there is no other religion on the face of the earth with any sort of messianic or prophetic figure that can say the same thing. See, our, our Savior defeated death. And he lives today. Now, he lives both within the heavenly realm, and we await his return. We, we cannot wait for his physical presence. We cannot wait for him to return for us. It's something that every Christian is waiting on. But the beautiful thing is that he also lives in our heart. Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That Christ can live within us is, is an incredible thing. It's an incredible truth. Now the operating principle from verse 17 is that, that you must have faith in order to receive Christ into your heart. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So you have to put your faith in him if you want him to live in your heart. Okay, that, that's necessary. And so those people who are still lost in their sin, who've not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, those people do not have Christ dwelling within them. It requires faith. But when we do have faith and we turn over control of our lives to him, we no longer belong to ourselves. We are bought with a price. He's bought us. We belong to him. And he indwells us because we belong to him. Does this make sense? I'm sorry if this is real ABC, Jesus loves me today. I hope this isn't too simple for you, but listen to me. All of this is absolutely critical for us understanding who we are. And I think that this is stuff that most Christians miss. I think that these simple truths are the easiest ones for us to forget. Jesus Christ lives in us, and guess what? Because we have access to him, because we have access to him, the glorious Savior, well, he's given us abundant power, and that's our next point. We have access to a glorious Savior with abundant power. Man, you know, so many of us, we don't feel strong, right? We feel weak. We, you know, we feel... Uh, We feel lost, even though we've been found. It's an amazing thing. There's so many of us that, that have been found by Christ. He's changed, he's changed our lives entirely. And yet we still wander around in life, completely aimless and unsure of who we are. And so listen, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you have access to what scriptures tell us is absolutely abundant power. Okay, so here's what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So what does that mean? What does that mean? 
Paul, Paul wants the church in Ephesus to comprehend the love of God more and more as each day and month and year passes. He wants them to have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of God's love for them as each year passes. Can you say that for yourself? He wants them to grow in their capacity to understand his love. And, and, okay, and so again, I, I really want this to be practical. I want it to be very simple, but listen to me. Remember when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, how much you felt loved in that moment? You felt loved, you felt seen and known and loved. Now that, that feeling, that sense of, of, of love has a tendency to dwindle as time passes. And you can feel it happening as you mature, as your eyes are open to greater spiritual truths. You actually have a tendency to get jaded and you have a tendency to forget that love. To forget your first love, as we learn in Revelation, to walk away from it. Now, now here's the thing, though. What Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus is that their knowledge and understanding of the love of Christ would grow, that it would compound with time, not recede. What's the matter with believers that we forget the love of Christ and that we, that we don't grow in the love of Christ? See, he wants them to be filled to the brim with the entirety of who Christ is. That's what that, that phrase there that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, all of you being filled to the brim with all of him. That we would somehow figure out how to put all of who God is and his love inside of that tiny little package that you call self. And right when you don't think you have any more room, any more capacity to know who Christ is, that we would make more room. That's what it is to be filled with all the fullness of Christ, of God. That's what it is to grow in your love and knowledge of him, that we would know his love that passes knowledge. Now, if that was true, true of us, if that was true, if we were growing in our love and our knowledge of his love, that would most certainly be the answer to our identity problems. That would be it. If we were, see, the reason, we, the reason that we don't know who we are is because we're slowly forgetting who he is. But if we want to know who we really are, then we need to be practicing and working and striving and praying that we might know him better. That's the answer. Listen, the reason that we're so anxious and lonely, lonely and, and longing for something else, <clears throat> the reason that we're so dissatisfied and that we're, we're looking out upon the horizon for something that will fulfill us, the reason that we're busying ourselves with that, with a better job, with a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, more money, more love, more attention, the reason that we're doing that, we're busying ourselves with that kind of stuff, the reason that so many of us spend so much time working hard in ministry, 
but it feels empty. The reason that we do that is because we've not yet comprehended what it means to know and be known by Christ. But if we would simply become intimate with Christ through his word, if we would simply have faith in what the Bible teaches, if we would just choose to enter the throne room with boldness, then we would know his power and we would know his friendship. But we don't. Man, you know, you can come to church and you can fool us. You know that? You can, you can come to church. You can do LFBI. You can do discipleship. You can go to Bible study. And you can fool all of us. You can fool all of us into believing that Christ is important. You know who you can't fool? Christ. Why are we so busy trying to look spiritual when we can be spiritual? What's the matter with us? <laughs> what is the matter with us? Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. See, he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. See, this is the, this is the power that Paul talked about. Remember earlier in the chapter, Paul's like, man, I don't even know. I'm not capable. I'm weak. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the apostles. I am a nobody. I'm, I'm completely unqualified. What? Well, 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 how is it that an unqualified man like Paul could be used in such a mighty way? How is it? Well, the answer for us is in verse 7, where we were at. He says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. It's his power. It's him. He's doing it, not you. The power comes from him. The power over your emotions. The power over your thoughts. The power over your behaviors. The power over fruitfulness or barrenness in this world. The, the, the power over usefulness. All of that is him in you. It's him. And this is why Paul starts his letter this way. It's his desire that we would see that God has made us capable of amazing things. Ephesians 1.17 says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, whom he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He has the power. He's the one. He's the one. And you're so worried about your identity and who you are and what you bring to the table and, and how you're perceived and, and, and what you're going to be able to get done and, 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 and whether or not you stack up. You're so busy thinking about those things that you forget the fact that he is the one. It's his power. It's he's, he is the one that makes you able. And Paul wants us to know ourselves better by knowing him better. Now, so here's the question for you as we close. Have you had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof? I mean, this is what, this is what we're going to be prone to. This is what Christians are prone to in the end times. Are you going to, to have a form of godliness, a form of spirituality, an observance of God, but deny his power by remaining distant from him, by keeping him at arm's length, by neglecting his Holy Spirit's work in your life, by not being in the word, learning? Are you gonna deny him the power that he should have over your life? Have you been doing ministry and life in the power of your flesh according to your own strength, to your own will, the way your gut feels, feeling your way through it, your own disciplines that you establish? Or are you going to turn your life over to him and yield to him and let him guide you because he loves you? It's your decision. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. That the outcomes of this ministry... Our ability to, to win the world or not, and the outcomes of your life personally, are all contingent on whether or not you decide to yield your life to Christ or not. To let him be your power, to take advantage of, of the access that you have to him or not. Everything rides on that. Everything rides on that. And so if you've been denying God power over your life, maybe because you've been abusing him, you've been neglecting him, maybe you haven't been cultivating like a love relationship with God. Repent. Repent. Take advantage of the access. He's standing there waiting. Take advantage of the access that you have to him and repent and make the power available. Make the power of Christ available in your life. I want to invite the worship team up as I pray. There's going to be counselors up here. If anyone needs to talk about anything related to the sermon, related to your convictions, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe all of this is really sounds completely foreign to you. Come forward. 
There's really loving and kind people that are going to be standing up here just waiting for people to come tap them on the shoulder. And if there's any need that you have, just come forward. Don't, don't be afraid. We love you. We're grateful that you're here. But the truth is, the reason that we're, we're doing what we're doing right now, the reason we're opening the, opening the word of God is because we want and we desire for you to know what we know and for you to grow the way that we're growing. So let's make a decision. Let's make a decision to find out, to find out who Christ is. But there's a lot of you Christians in the room who have been following God, having a form of godliness, but denying him the power over your life. And today is the day to get that right. Yeah? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we we thank you for what you've given us and just the ability to call to you, like that you hear our voice, that, that I can just, right now, just turn my attention to you and I'm talking to you. And you hear me, and you, you know me. <laughs> and so the things I can't even pray right, like you translate those things. The Spirit makes those things right in your ears. And, and you, can hear, you can hear me at every conscious level of my being. I mean, I don't even know myself that well. But you know me, and you love me, and you've given me your Son. And you've given me your spirit. And you've given me your word. And I don't have to doubt. And I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend to be spiritual. I don't, I don't have to dismay or despair. I don't have to feel lost. You've given me everything I need. I just need to turn to you. I need to hear you. I need to know you. I need to pursue you. Lord, help us to all grow in our comprehension of your love. Lord, fill us with the fullness of God. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's struggling to know you, Lord, I pray that they would grab a hold of a friend, that they would come forward, that they would get the counsel from your word that they need. Lord, we're begging you. Lord, make this, make this time that we've had together profitable for your namesake. You are, you are the father of all fathers. You are our daddy. We're grateful for you. We trust you with this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.